And what is your security concern? Mandalorians. What? They continue to be in the issue? They do. I am increasingly confident that they are preparing to retake their home world of Mandalore. But a research in Mandalore would hamper our efforts. Which is why we need to stamp them out now. Yes. You'll have your reinforcements and your guard. We shall be rid of the Mandalorians once and for all. Long live the Empire! Long live the Empire! Bucketheads, Mavar Tigar. Welcome to the 202nd bucket blasting episode of Mandavision. Our guy Tom, and thank you so much for checking out this small, independent Star Wars podcast. Remember, the best way to reach out to us is, of course, on social media at Mando underscore Vision on Twitter and Instagram. You can email the show MandavisionTom at gmail.com. Please be sure to like, subscribe, share, and follow the show with all the Mandalorians in your covert. How is everyone doing? It is another Mandalorian Wednesday. I still hate that name. I gotta, I gotta work. I gotta workshop that. How are you all? Episode seven of this new season of season, of season three has dropped, and as sort of anticipated, I think by many of us, uh, everything starts to come to a head in this episode here as as we really bring bring those those strings, those threads, those plot points, kind of come together and get us on course for what is shaping up to be a pretty spectacular season finale next week. But we got to focus on this week. We got to focus on what's at hand and there is a lot to get into. So I don't want to, I don't want to waste a whole lot of time uh, uh, with, with preamble. I want to kind of just dive into this one because uh, there's a lot to pull apart. There's a lot of meat on this bone and I think it would be best served if we just got into it right now and just started chewing on that meat. Just get into it because, yeah, I mean, the episode starts off with, again, everything we've sort of been talking about. A lot of things we've been speculating about for the past, you know, six weeks. We start getting answers right off the bat. Things are confirmed. Things are locked into place. 
and we get to we get to go right into the heart of things, all right? And so let's go ahead and let's do that right now for ourselves, and let's go ahead and lay out the particulars for the episode itself. This is The Mandalorian, Season 3, Episode 7, Chapter 23, The Spies. Original air date today, April 12th, 2023. This episode is written by John Favreau and Dave Filoni, directed by Rick Femiua, who once again brings the goods. Uh, our plot for the week is Survivors Come Out of Hiding. And our main principal cast this week, once again, Pedro Pascal, Latif Crowder, and Brendan Wayne are The Mandalorian, Din Djarin. Katie Sackhoff is Bo-Katan Kreese. Katie M. O'Brien is Elia Kane. Giancarlo Esposito is Moff Gideon. Carl Weathers, Grief Karga. Emily Swallow as the armor. Tate Fletcher as Paz Vizla. Simeon Kessiandians as Axe Woves. Mercedes Vernado returns as Cosca Reeves. And we get a, 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 a litany of, of guest star appearances. Uh, perhaps most interestingly is Xander Berkeley as Guyled Paleon and Brian Gleason as Brendel Hux. How about that? Brenda, Brian Gleason, uh, the brother of Dom Hall Gleason, playing Dom Hall Gleason's character's father. There you go. There's the connection right there. <laughs> so good stuff. Good stuff there. Uh, and there's also a few uh, sneaky appearances in this episode as well. Uh, the, the one in particular that, that jumped out to me was, was of course, uh, Charles Purnell. Uh, and we'll talk about his role later in the episode. But uh, it, uh, Charles Purnell, if you're not super familiar with, you may have just seen him in like the biggest movie of 2022, which was Top Gun Maverick. He was in it. <laughs> and Top Gun Maverick, let's be honest, it's basically a Star Wars movie anyways. So uh, there's a connection there inherent already. So <laughs> let's go ahead. Let's get into this episode. You know what that means. You know what time it is. Strap on your buckets. Let's go. I hope these two groups get along. They've never met. And what little they know of each other, they hate. They will if they want to survive. And that's from the moment where Din and Bo-Katan arrive back on Navarro, reuniting her force, Mandalorian forces, with the Children of the Watch. Uh, and we'll talk about that scene when we get to it, but I think we need to go back to the opening of this episode. Go back to the beginning, to where it started, with us deep in the bowels, the lower levels of Coruscant, with Elia Kane, the supposedly reformed Imperial, uh, now under the amnesty program, serving the New Republic. But of course, their true colors are revealed in this episode. Again, it's titled The Spies. Though, to be fair, it's a little bit of a misleading title because it was really only about, like, it started with, like, a spy. And then I kept thinking about the name of the episode and I kept waiting for, like, more spies to show up. And they really, really didn't. Um, <laughs> I kept waiting for some sort of betrayal to happen, but it didn't. So a little bit of a misleading title, but uh, this show has, has had a lot of red herrings, and we'll talk a lot about those uh, in, in the sort of upcoming, or as, as we pan out through this episode, because this episode helps put some, some context on some things that happened earlier in the season, and we can see that we were misdirected a couple of different times along the way in, in this season uh, to get where we are now. But again, we start with Ospi in Elia Kane reporting to the the long suspected believed to be out there Moff Gideon who has a, a, a rad Imperial pro droid just you know prowling the streets of, of course on you know hiding those in those back alleys making contact with his forces that are probably infiltrating the New Republic because uh, I would imagine that Elia Kane is not the only one out there doing his bidding in the galaxy um, but it's it's this, this the way this opens the way this is shot 
uh, very reminiscent of Ridley Scott's Blade Runner, uh, going back to you know Harrison Ford as Rick Deckard. Um, I, I like that. It was, it was very evocative imagery. The only question I had about it was, I'm hoping like that 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 sort of like rain that was happening was um, some sort of condensate or spray from some sort of other device because uh, you know Coruscant's climate controlled. <laughs> they they don't have weather unless they want it there, and uh, which I think is never if the my memory serves on that. But you know, again, visually speaking, it's very it it it, it can't help but evoke the imagery that we remember so well from the opening scene, scenes of Blade Runner, uh, going through the new LA sequence when uh, Deckard's eating his noodles. Uh, but but good stuff. So yeah, the Mo- the return of Moff Gideon. Uh, we see him via hologram. He lets Elijah Kane know there's a lot going on. He's got a lot of things happening here. He's been in a lot of places, guys. This, these moths, they're just so, so busy. Uh, and so once he gets off the holocom with Elijah Kane, we see what he's doing, where he's at, sort of. He's in some sort of bunker, lair of some sort, uh, and he works his way through the chambers to, to his destination. We're like, where's Moff Gideon going? But on the way, we see what I can only imagine are the new iteration of Super Commandos, like what we saw in Star Wars Rebels. Uh, this time, instead of them being, you know, fully Mandalorians that are loyal to the Empire in there, that it's Imperials in, in, in a sort of mock-up, ver- in a new version of that Super Commando armor. Now, I'm waiting for confirmation from that, uh, from the online community, but that's that's sort of my take on it right now as of this moment. If information is provided to me down the road, we'll address it uh, at that time. But that was sort of my first impression, was this, it's a new version of the Super Commandos that we saw in Rebels. We also see him walking through a chamber where it looks like where it would appear to be uh, cloning tanks going on around him, uh, and then as he enters the final room, the final chamber, uh, we 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 see Moff Gideon walk into a a meeting of the new version of the Imperial Shadow Council. Now the Shadow Council had been in play before uh, in the aftermath novels. Uh, this is a new iteration of that council. Uh, the only people that I recognize, and again, I went online and tried to find out if if anyone knew if these other characters in the room were people of note that we should be aware of. It seemed not to be the case. They seem to be unnamed. The credits have them just as Warlord. Um, so if they ter- plan out to be somebody from the Legends EU or, or some other piece of, of media, then we, we, again, we'll, we'll talk about that when the time comes. But the only members of this, this group that are of significant importance uh, are, of course, Xander Berkeley stepping up and playing the live-action version of Captain Guy Paleon, uh, who is um, in the... I don't want to mix up my old my, my EU Paleon with the Rebels Paleon, but let's just say he is a believer in the greatness of Thrawn and Thrawn's return uh, to, to as the heir to the Empire to stabilize the military and to usher in a new era for the Empire. And then, on, and then that provides us a connection to the Ahsoka series moving forward, right? Like that's sort of like our bridge. You know, we're seeing that that Paleon is connected to the Shadow Council. He's 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 high on the return of Thrawn, but it hasn't happened just yet. And so he's sort of on the spot as like this this sort of believer, but he can't advocate for Thrawn because Thrawn's not there and he hasn't been there. And so the other members of this council are sort of questioning if the return of, of Thrawn is a real thing or not. Um, but that connects us to the Ahsoka show. It connects us to the the new lore that we're we're spinning out from uh, the old EU stuff from the old expanded universe from the original Timothy Zahn novels. Again, you know, uh, we'll talk about the Ahsoka trailer uh, on, a, on a special episode coming up. But she, she drops the line, Heir to the Empire. It's in there. So 
you know, a lot of things are, are, are boiling in this little corner of, of Star Wars and on this, this little plate. So it's nice that The Mandalorian is going to kind of bridge the gap to that series. And they're also, they also seem to be attempting to bridge the gap to the sequel trilogy, which is uh, an unenviable task because they are divisive. They are divisive films. But like we talked about a couple – like I can't remember when I did the episode, but I talked about what Marvel was doing with their comics and how they were doing some like reverse – uh, retroactive continuity uh, things to sort of pave the way for things that would come in the sequel trilogy in their Darth Vader comic, in their Star Wars comics, in in their um, in the I think even Afro connected some dots to stuff, um, and that was interesting. But now you're seeing it in live action. You know, we we now have uh, a Brendel Hux who is is a, a, a big proponent of the, uh, the the stormtrooper conditioning program. For, for Finn and for the others that will be stormtroopers in the First Order. Uh, he's also in charge of the Project Necromancer, which sounds like it ought to be uh, something that has to do with the rise of Snoke and, and the return of the Clone Emperor and, and all these various elements that deal with cloning technology and, and you know, merge, melding the Force and clones together in, in a way so that Palpatine can return. Again, we're not clear on that, but that seems to be what we're, what we're doing, what we're going for. But it's, it's, it's nice to see the Mandalorian kind of connecting all these sort of elements of, of Star Wars in the future, right? Like sort of paving the way for some of these different things. And again, you know, I'm, I am on the record as, as having very mixed feelings and emotions about the sequel trilogy. But it's there. It's part of the canon. It's, it's, it has to be, um, if not embraced, it has to be acknowledged at the very, very least. So setting these things in motion is really, really neat. Uh, I also liked, you know, again, we talked about it back in, in episode three of this season of The Mandalorian. There, there, one of the warlords calls it out directly that the people of the galaxy are already sick of this new republic. There's not a lot of support going on here. Whatever policies and practices they have in place, um, the, the people of the galaxy don't seem to be very supportive of it. Now, again, that could be just the imperial perspective. Um, but we have seen countless times in, in countless pieces of Star Wars media and, and, and literature like that, there, there is a wide section of the galaxy that, that sort of craved the order that the Empire brought, no matter what the cost was to uh, the freedom and, freedoms and liberties of the individuals. Now, again, this could also be uh, an aristoc aristocratic point of view. We saw a little bit of that back in Episode 3 when, when Pershing had his little uh, TED Talk seminar uh, and, and those, those uh, elitist aristocrats of Coruscant couldn't even remember who's in charge of the government anymore last time they were out talking about these sort of things. So there, there, there's a lot of things to pull apart there. But, uh, but again, like the cracks in the New Republic are, are already massively big, you know, five, six, seven years removed since uh, the victory at Endor. And uh, that, that this, this Shadow Council is really sort of reinforcing that. And I like the idea, what they say, that, you know, these warlords are out there, they're working their sectors, uh, and, and, presenting the illusion that they're disorganized factions, right? Like they're sort of in competition with each other. There's no unified empire anymore. It's just warlords out there, you know, plundering the hyperspace lanes and, and things of that nature. But they're, they're supposedly, now Moff Gideon calls them out, because, but supposedly there's supposed to be a grand scheme, a grand plan, but with Thrawn still missing, that, that, that plan is dubious. And, and, and Moff Gideon has no problem questioning it, and beginning to assert himself as the leader of the Empire. Because again, now, Hux is in charge of this Project Necromancer, but 
Gideon had Pershing. Hux calls him out for that. So what? we still don't really know some of the details of what Gideon had Pershing working on, what he was doing with Grogu. I suspect we'll get some more answers on that maybe next week. But again, it's it's the Empire. There's, there's infighting. There's uh, people climbing over the shoulders of others to get on top. Uh, and Gideon seems to position himself to be the one on top. He does not seem to subscribe to the theory that Theron will return anytime soon. So why not Gideon? Why not him? Uh, so this is a, a wonderful way to open up the episode because it gives us so much to ponder, so much to consider, so much to think about. Uh, and, and from here, we transition to uh, what we what we just the clip we just played uh, to bring us into this segment of the show, which is going back to Navarro and the arrival of what was Bo-Katan's fleet, but is now once again Bo-Katan's fleet. Is Axe Woves is for for a hot minute. Now Bo-Katan has control of it yet again, and she's bringing it to Navarro, where the Children of the Watch have set up shop on that massive tract of land that that they were gifted by uh, Grief Karga after they liberated him from the pirates. Now that was the other element that Elia Kane confirmed for us that Moff Gideon did send the pirates to Navarro in an attempt to reclaim the planet. Uh, did he just like it as a base of operations? Uh, is there something perhaps beneath the surface? Uh, in, in one of his maybe hidden rooms or chambers that, that he needs to get, to get access to. That might be determined later, or maybe just has a soft spot for Navarro because it's on the outer rim and it has the resources that he needs for all of his different machinations and plans that he wants to put into place. Uh, but regardless, this is going to be the first meeting of the Children of the Watch, and um, I don't know. I, I don't know what we want to call Bo's faction of Mandalorians, whether they're true Mandalorians or the Mandalorians by birth. Um, as opposed to the ones who have taken to the creed and, and, and decided to follow the way. Um, so, you know, the true Mandalorians has, has been a term used in their history before, so I, I sort of want to use it for Bo's people since they were born on Mandalore. They were there for the Night of a Thousand Tears. But it just feels so so mean <laughs> to the other Mandalorians because I don't dispute the other Mandalorians at all. You guys know how I feel about the Mandalorians as a culture that, that brings in people, that adopts people, and um, that's... I, I don't... I don't let, let's not go down that rabbit hole. But you know how I feel about Mandalorian culture as, as being accessible to, to others, uh, to many. And the Children of the Watch embrace that, so I, I'm kind of cool with them. You know, maybe not cool to keep my, keep my helmet on all the time, keeping that bucket on all day, but, you know, well, you know maybe, I get, maybe I get used to it. But anywho... So it's the coming together of these forces, the unification of Mandalorians, and it's it's inevitably uh, stiff at first as they all sort of try to get used to each other. Uh, but the armor welcomes them. They're going to have a feast, and it's time to kind of like put differences aside for the betterment of the people of Mandalore. Right? It's it's time to to bury old grudges and to move on with our lives. Uh, and there's going to be a feast. Now, I have a question about this feast because, well, <laughs> they're cooking what looked like what looked to be big giant birds. Now, you may remember a few episodes ago, <laughs> Bo-Katan showed back up at the covert uh, with what she called foundlings from that big giant pterodactyl bird. Uh, <laughs> did they just cook them and eat them? Is that what just happened? Is that what we saw? They're not really foundlings after all, huh? Maybe the armor was like, they can't be trained. They will never walk the way. So we shall eat them instead. You know, maybe maybe that was the way. Maybe And maybe they just taste really good. Or perhaps they found some other creature uh, and they just didn't want to splurge on the CGI 
for <laughs> for bringing those creatures uh, into this scene. You know, the, the, I suspect the Mandalorian is a very expensive show, so maybe you don't always CGI every little thing. Yes, you need to CGI. Um, but regardless, Bo has formed a plan, and they're gonna go to Mandalore. It's time to retake the planet. So, uh, that I, I ask this question: uh, We don't know how long it is between episodes. We don't know the time frame of certain events. But how long have the Mandalorians, how long has the Children of the Watch, the Covert, been on Navarro? It didn't seem like it's been that long, right? But they, they were gifted this huge plot of land, and they're already like, all right, we're out of here. So what is Grief Karga thinking? Grief shows up with a, with a bottle of a very fancy Coruscant wine uh, to, to give to Din, and, and he says, hey, share with a smaller group. This is too many people. This ain't going to last very much. But, you know, Grief thought he had just got himself Sort of like a, like a standing army, right? Like a, like a ready to go militia, uh, in, in case more pirates came back, or in case more people decided to try and infringe on the independence of Navarro. Uh, and now they're all blowing him off to go back to Mandalore. He's got to be thinking something here. <laughs> like, you know, he 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 may have thought he just had a defense force in place, and now they're like, nah, we're going home. Later, Gator. Deuces, and then they they just take off. I don't know. I don't know. A lot of questions. I, I, I have a lot of questions about sort of like the, the fallout of some of these these actions and, and many of the things that have occurred in the season are 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 worthy of being questioned. It's and that's okay. Uh, but now we go back to to Grief's chambers, right? Because he has a gift for Mando and and a gift for Grogu, uh, and that would be that while in 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 the interim, uh, since since at least I, I would suspect the Anzellans have been working on this for a little while. But at the very least, since the time of after the Mandalorians liberated Navarro from pirate occupation, uh, the Anzellans have been doing some work on IG-11, uh, and they have sort of hollowed him out and made him into like a writable, uh, controllable thing. <laughs> uh, and it's, I don't know, it's really unique and interesting. And you, but you have to ask questions, right? Like you sort of are wondering about it. You're like. What is happening here? What is the plan of this? And I got some ideas about that. But let's go ahead and play the scene where, where Grief's kind of laying it out there. I hit the wrong button. Where Grief is, where, I'm sorry, where Grief Karga is laying it out there uh, and explaining exactly what the Anzellans did. Uh, let's check it out right now. What did you do to IG-11? No, that's IG-12 now. Do you like him? Do I like him? Don't worry, he's safe. You're sure? Well, the Anzellan stripped IG down to his base motor functions. They removed his memory circuit. The pilot provides cognition. Yes. Think of it this way. It's more like a vehicle. Hmm? It's safer that way. Oh, I'll stop right there because I just wanted to hear the Anzell say bad baby, no squeezy because that makes me happy. But yeah, so IG-11 has sort of been turned into like a, like a, 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 like a mech, right? It can be now be piloted um, like battle mechs often can be, right? That, that's sort of what we got going on here. Now, we don't know his weapons capabilities just yet. We haven't seen him in, in action just yet. But Grogu is instantly intrigued by, by his former nursemaid droid, 
uh, now being something that he can ride in and pilot. Um, and it's kind of cool. I kind of dig it. I sort of like the idea that Grogu has this, and uh, I don't want to say armor suit necessarily, but I mean, some, uh, we'll just go with mech. Like he now has this mech to make him uh, a little bit more of, less reliant on Din, I think is the, is the word. He's more independent in, in that sense. He can get around now. He can do things that he couldn't do before because of his uh, stature, right? So now he's, he's elevated. He's off the ground. And he's got long arms, and he can grab things off of fruit stands and get into trouble and mischief because he doesn't want to pay for food still. He still hasn't figured out how credits work. <laughs> but uh, clearly the suit's going to come in handy down the road, I think very much so in the next episode of the show. Uh, whether this is a long-term thing or a, a convenient plot device for the, this episode and the next uh, is to be determined. But uh, I thought it was a, kind of a fun, different way to bring back uh, the IG unit without having to rely on its on on um, us seeing the seeing sort of the same things from before with it, right? Like it's it's fun to bring it back and do something different, put a new spin on it. So I like that element very very much, uh, and I like that Grogu can get around. And he seems to be very much uh, happy with it, and I like that it, it also lets him kind of communicate more easily, right? He get he can say yes and no. Now I wish. Maybe the Anzellans had kept the voice circuits a little bit more complex so that you could get a little bit more out of them than yes and no. But we'll take what we can get. <laughs> um, I also want to note real quick before I get off this particular topic, uh, I did enjoy seeing the Imperial Light Cruiser uh, going over the, the, the town, the city, uh, and then seeing the Mythosaur emblazoned on the bottom of that, that uh, light cruiser. I thought that was super, super cool. All right, so we're heading back to Mandalore now. And we have a, a joint task force that's going to be the recon team on the surface of the planet. Bo-Katan, Din Djarin, Paz Vizsla, Axe Wolves, Koska Reeves. We're mixing Children of the Watch and, and Bo-Katan's Night Owls faction, right? That's what's happening. You know, these guys got to start getting used to being around each other, working together if they're going to retake Mandalore, right? Mandalore, again, we're spending time on the surface of the planet, you know, basically bombed to glass. Uh, it's, it's, it's desolate, it's bleak, it doesn't, like, you're like, what are they thinking? <laughs> they need to start getting this planet terraformed immediately, and this could take a hot minute. Holy, holy smokes. But, as they begin to make their way across the landscape in an effort to find the Great Forge, they come across what I can only describe as, uh, uh sort of like the post-apocalyptic Mad Max version <laughs> of 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 a, of a of a sail barge in a sense, right? Like it's it's got sails. It, it it has like a like skis to go across like that glassed surface of the planet, uh, and it's, it's it is very, to me, very Mad Maxian. Uh, so let's let's go ahead and play the scene where our unified Mandalorian recon team first encounters this this uh, this sail skiff sail sail skiff sail barge. I still want to call it a sail barge. I know this Jabba's thing, but I still want to call it that. Let's go ahead and play the sequence. Let's check it out. Do you have food? We do? You wear the crest of the night owls. I should hope so. They're Mandalorians. Is that the voice of Lady Bo-Katan It is. 
We knew you would not forsake us, Lady Bo-Katan. We have failed you, but our blasters remain in your service. All right, there you go. So, our, uh, now a third faction of Mandalorians uniting here together on the planet. And these ones, we find out, have been there since the Night of a Thousand Tears. Their forces left behind, uh, and they've been surviving uh, in this, this Mandalorian wasteland uh, uh, since the Empire bombed it all to... Well, we'll just say glass. <laughs> we'll keep it. We'll keep it clean, folks. Um, this this leads to, uh, I, I think, something that that we have wondered, speculated about, uh, for for quite some time, and that is, how exactly did Moff Gideon come to possess the dark saber? How exactly did Mandalore uh, fall into the hands of Moff Gideon? You know, when when last we see. Uh, back in Rebels, you know, when when Bo-Katan has the Darksaber and it appears that she's going to rally the forces of Mandalore against the Empire, uh, something obviously changes. Something obviously happens in the interim. Uh, and this is where, this is the sequence where we get to find it. it it's a, it's going to be a bit long. I'm probably going to get in trouble with Disney. They love to see, send me cease and desists, but we're going to play it anyways. So check it out. After our forces were annihilated in the Night of a Thousand Tears and defeat was imminent. I met with Moff Gideon. The ISB had reached out to me to negotiate a ceasefire. In exchange for submitting to the Empire and disarming, all remaining cities and Mandalorian lives were to be spared. That is how Moff Gideon came to possess the Darksaber. I didn't trust him, but it was the only chance I had to save our people. And then he betrayed me, and we were helpless to resist the purge of Mandalore. How did these others survive? We were hidden on the moon of Concordia. Were you Death Watch? Death Watch exists no longer. It's shattered into many warring factions. Our people have suffered time and again from division and squabbling factions. Mandalore has always been too powerful for any enemy to defeat. It is always our own division that destroys us. So I love that sequence. I think that's fantastic. And it's Katie Sackhoff uh, acting her guts out, just putting it all on Front Street there. Uh, it's fantastic stuff. It, it helps uh, give us some, some missing pieces of information that we've been, been looking for uh, as, as Bucketheads, <laughs> as Buckethead Nation. We want to fill in these gaps. We want to know these things. But, again, it's, it's fun to expand the lore in this way, right? Uh, and, and she's in, the, in this place. You know, Bo-Katan is in this, this spot where she has to be – uh, completely open, honest, and transparent with all these factions if she's going to bring them all together. It is so important for her to uh, sort of confess her sins, right? To admit to her, her mistakes and to own up to it. And, and expressing herself this way, uh, I, I think it impacts each faction 
uh, in a way that they see her as a better leader now than they did before, uh, to, to sort of be able to own what happened. Uh, it's also a great sequence. Again, it's, it's, it's so funny because half the table is still wearing their buckets, right? Like you, you can't see their reactions. Uh, but the, the, the physical acting that you see on the armor on Din Djarin is uh, interesting as well as, as they're hearing the story too because they are, you know, they were removed from it. They were up on Concordia. They, they were not there for any of these things. You know, the, the children of the watch were removed from this. Uh, but seeing the reactions on the faces of the warriors who were there is also excellent stuff. So I really like it. It's, it's really strong stuff. And again, Katie Sackhoff killing it in the sequence. Um, I, I think the other thing to, to sort of mention, the other thing I want to talk about, again, this is, so <laughs> I, I, we've talked about this in the past. I'm going to bring it up again. I thought this might be the moment where we finally, in live action, talk about Bo-Katan's sister, Satine, the, the former Duchess of Mandalore, uh, and, and sort of the, the pacifist era that she tried to usher in in an attempt to unify the people uh, and protect them basically from themselves. Uh, <laughs> I, I thought we might go there, and we didn't again. And I don't know why there seems to be this reluctance and, and perhaps it's, it's Bo's character, and perhaps Bo Katan herself is not ready to discuss Satine publicly and uh, in, in her role that she played in the death of her sister. Um, but we're going to get to talk about it pretty soon because when we get back into Star Wars The Clone Wars rewatches uh, here in just a few short weeks, uh, we're heading into some, some big-time stuff with, with Death Watch, with the Mandalorians, with the Kree's clan, uh, all, all, all the things. All the things are happening, and, and so we're going to get to talk about it probably before Bo does. Now, is there a chance Bo has a little confession about, about it next week? Yeah, maybe. Maybe. We'll see. We'll see what happens. But I thought for a moment during that sequence that we would get <laughs> the, the, the sort of name check on, on Duchess Satine, on, on, on Bo-Katan's sister herself. Not to be in this one, but maybe down the road, maybe Bo's getting closer to being able to talk about that situation, to talk about her sister once again. Uh, this leads to another uh, just really excellent sequence uh, between Bo-Katan and Din, who uh, their relationship has been the, the most fascinating element of this season, I think. Uh, it, it, you know, it started off very tumultuous, very rocky to begin the season, but uh, it has really developed and strengthened a lot over the course of the last few episodes. Uh, we didn't mention it at the beginning of the show, but I, I love how like Grogu sits in her lap now when she's piloting the the correct cruiser, uh, and it's it's just wonderful. It's it's so nice to see it this way. It it sort of reminds me that I still wish they were in more in in like conflict about the dark saber, but uh, Din sort of puts it all in front street right here with it with this piece of of this wonderful. Um, supportive message he has for Bo-Katan. So let's go ahead and play that as well. Check it out. I had no idea. We were taught that everyone but us had forsaken the way. That you were selfish and uncaring. Now I understand. You were right. I was selfish. And this is what it wrought. 
rebuild it. Isn't that our history? For thousands of years, we have been on the verge of extinction, and for thousands of years, we have survived. I don't know if I can keep everyone together. There's too much animosity. And this blade is all I have to unify our people. I only know of this weapon what you taught me. To be honest, it means nothing to me or my people. Nor does station or bloodline. What means more to me is honor. And loyalty. And character. These are the reasons I serve you, Lady Kreez. Your song is not yet written. I will serve you until it is. So that's just a really nice moment there. Um, and it, it kicks off the next part of the, of the episode, right? Which is... Um, let's kind of let's kind of recap this because a lot happens here in the next few minutes, right? So there's <clears throat> members of the faction that have stayed on the planet that are weak and malnourished, and so the armor they're going to cir circle back around to Bo-Katan's uh, Comric class ship. They're going to take the the weakened Mandalorians off the surface so they can go to the cruisers and and, and get. Uh, medical treatment and and supplies and, and whatever else they need to kind of get back up to up to strength. So they circle back to the ship, and then the rest of the party will carry on on the surface, heading to the forge. Now the way this is shot, the way we follow the armor on her ascent up to the cruiser, you you can't help but get the feeling that like wow we're really following this the ship for for quite a stretch here. What's going to happen? Well, they 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 don't they uh, tease us for a little while, but you know something's gonna happen. There are things afoot on Mandalore, and we don't know the extent of them all just yet, but things are afoot. So our main party, still on the on the sail barge on the surface of the planet, uh, is is moving along in an attempt to get to the the Great Forge. Now these survivors who've been on the planet since the Night of a Thousand Tears, they know exactly where to go, so they know the path. Uh, but it's going to take a little while, you know? So, like, let's have Axe Woves and Paz Vizsla engage in a game. Now, I'm unfamiliar with the game. I, 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 I need to know. I want, I want to learn how to play this game. But Axe and, and Paz get into it. Um, because, according to Axe, Paz is making up rules for the moves that his, his pieces can make. And it leads to a physical conflict. And... Bo Katan is going to let it play out. Bo wants to see. There's nothing they can do, right? Like this is going to happen. It was going to happen at some point sooner or later. Paz and Axe had sort of been staring each other down since the moment these forces came together. Uh, so now we get into into a physical altercation over uh, a board game. The vibroblades are drawn, uh, and it's a good fight between the two. It really is. Uh, neither party, neither side, neither faction. We'll step in to, to bring it to an end. Um, so how does it end without the bloodshed of, of a, a single or two Mandalorians? Uh, Grogu. Grogu steps in there with his new IG-12 mech. And, and you know, as a foundling, he can sort of be the one to sort of broker the, pre the peace between these two. They, they, they seem to respect him as a foundling. They seem to acknowledge the importance of foundlings. 
uh, and it stops the fight before anyone can draw blood, uh, at least serious blood, major, you know, bowel emptying blood. <laughs> so, so Grogu is the peacemaker there. He's the one who who sort of does it. And uh, Din's reaction to that, I think, is the most interesting part of it, where he, where he says he didn't learn that from me. Uh, you know, so so peacemaking meditation, the medi uh, um, mediation. <laughs> Is, is something that probably has been imparted to him either from his time in the Jedi or his time with, with Luke. Uh, and as, as we talked about earlier in the, uh, earlier in the season, uh, based off of comments from Jon Favreau, apparently Grogu was with Luke for a, a decent chunk of time, you know? They're, they're saying like two-ish years or so. So perhaps conflict resolution is in Grogu's wheelhouse from Luke or perhaps from his time at the Jedi Temple on Coruscant pre-Order 66. Uh, and I suspect we'll get more flashbacks to Grogu's early days sooner rather than later. So after Paz and Axe get separated, uh, our heroes make their way further across the surface of the planet in their attempt to locate the Great Forge. Uh, when, well, let's just think. Remember, go. let's go back. To the beginning, when, when Bo-Katan was attempting to rally volunteers for the recon mission, she mentioned that dormant species were active once again on the planet, and we get to meet one <laughs> right now as a massive creature comes out of the surface of Mandalore and attacks the, uh, the sailing ship that, that glides across the glassed surface of Mandalore. And uh, blows it up real, real good with a with a massive. I believe it was its tail smashing down onto the onto the barge and destroying our, the craft, sending Mandalorians uh, in many, many different directions. Now our survivors on Mandalore, the night owls who survived and stayed for the duration of of <laughs> this this. I shouldn't say the duration, but on the on the wasteland of Mandalore, they know they're close. So they know the cave systems that are nearby, and they access these caves, and they get away from the creature. There's no big battle. There's no, you know, some some Mandalorians didn't make it off that skiff. You know, not everyone came away unscathed. But the forces uh, are able to retreat into the cave system and make their way underground, uh, away from this massive, massive creature who will probably kill them all. Uh, when they were evacuating the ship, I did like that. I think it was Vizsla and Axe Woes both go to Grogu's side, uh, and and lift him, you know, first off the ship, right, with, uh, you know, each on, uh, on each side of the IG-12 mech uh, and, and lift him off to safety first. I thought that was really, really cool. If memory serves, it was Axe and Paz who did that. So I did like that touch on things. Uh, so that was really, really neat. Uh, and, again, I, I, I really enjoy the functionality that Grogu has in his IG-12 mech, which is a lot of fun. Uh, and, again, I think it will come in very, very handy next episode. Uh, but now our heroes make their way to the Great Forge, and they see what remains of it and how its fires had once burned for a bajillion years. And you sort of have the sad reminiscence for the forces that had lived their lives on the planet and the forces that had only heard the stories. Um, and there's sort of a, a, a sadness about that for both of them, but for different reasons. You know, the, the, the legends that you build in your mind versus uh, the reality that, that the people who experienced it are telling you about. And, and sort of a sadness descends upon them for a moment. But it doesn't last long because this is where the Imperial forces 
spring their trap. Well, sort of. This is where they sort of bait the trap. I take it back. And we get our, our the, the first wave of these super commandos the, that the Empire ha has at their disposal, inspired very heavily by Mandalorian uh, armor designs and, and costuming, and I shouldn't say costuming, by Mandalorian armoring, by Mandalorian armor. Good Lord, complete a sentence, Tom. And, and uh, as, we, as we will come to find out shortly, uh, that these, these super commandos, uh, they are, are making these suits out of Besker. And that would seem to answer the question that was posed a couple of episodes ago. Did Mandalorians break Moff Gideon out of New Republic custody? Uh, the, the answer appears to be no because we now know about the, the existence of these super commandos that Moff Gideon has at his disposal that are armored up in Besker. So this is where the action really kicks into high gear. It's a great sequence. There's a lot of really, really awesome uh, um, combat, <laughs> I think is the best way I can put it. You know, with blasters, with jetpacks, uh, Mandalorians using all the weapons at their disposals. They use their, their grapples. They use their blowtorches. They put everything they can use into action here. Uh, Din gets a couple great shots shooting the Super Commandos right, you know, at the base of their neck, below the helmet. Uh, 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 Bo-Katan gets a great one off where she shoots one of them under the helmet in the chin. I was like, that's pretty rad. Uh, there's really watch the fight choreography in this section. It's really strong. It's really well thought out, really well executed. And I mean, it's a lot of characters. Uh, it's a lot of actors doing a lot of different things. Uh, and Rick Famuyiwa directs the action sequences uh, with with great great skill. Uh, really, definitely handles all of the choreography in here because again, there's a lot. There's it's a lot of bodies moving and flying around and, and people falling off ledges and, and a lot of things happening in the sequence here. But, you know, we, we see Paz Vizsla, we see Axe Woves, we see uh, uh, Koska Reeves and Bo-Katan and Din Djarin and all these characters that we've gotten to know uh, spring into action here. And it, it would appear um, that they're going to put them on the run here. But, but Axe Woves, uh, in order to sort of save their or retaking a Mandalorian efforts has to get the word out that there's an Imperial ambush happening. And, and, so, and so to see Paz Vizsla tell him, Hey, I got you. I'll, I'll supply cover fire. You make your way up through that hole in the, in the, in the ceiling of the cave and we'll get you out of here. So you can uh, let our forces know that the empire's around and uh, bad things are happening down here on the surface. So Axe makes his way for it. And it, it appears he gets out. What happens to Axe after this point? We are unsure of just yet. But we did cut back to the armorer going up to their forces. And again, you, you can't help those, those cutbacks. You can't help but think something's going to happen to the forces in orbit uh, over Mandalore. You know, I keep waiting for, waiting for things to, to go there. But I think we've got an episode left. And the tension. They're just trying to build the tension. It would, um, I, I think the only comment I would have about the, the entire sequence was the Axe Woves and the, and the Paz Vizsla stuff I think would have been more impactful if we sort of built their rivalry up over a couple of episodes uh, instead of, you know, 20 minutes earlier. But that's okay. I mean, th th this show likes to move um, oftentimes at its own pace, oftentimes at a very breakneck pace. And th this episode is one of the more breakneck-paced episodes of the, of the season so far. Um, so it would appear that the Mandalorians have put the Imperial forces on the run, so they spring into action to pursue, to eliminate this Imperial threat through the caverns of... Mandalore here, just adjacent to the Great Forge. 
Uh, and I really like, in this sequence, I really like how much uh, Din Djarin sort of leads the charge himself. Uh, he tells, you know, earlier in the sequence, he told Grogu, Grogu, it's time to keep up, you know. He's, he's going to ride that mech. He's got to get into action. Now, I didn't see if Grogu did a lot of combat stuff. That was the one thing I sort of lost sight of, so I look forward to investigating that a little bit more closely on the rewatch. But I don't think uh, uh, Grogu was in great gang, engaged in too much of the physicality of the, of the fight. Uh, however, he's he's in the mix though. He's staying up with everybody, uh, but Din leads the charge against them to, to to sort of vanquish, at least in their minds, the Imperial threat that still exists on Mandalore. Uh, and what happens is they come into another cavern where they spy a massive, massive infiltration of of Imperials on the surface of the planet. We see ties and hangers. We see more super commandos springing into action. Uh, the Imperial presence on Mandalore is not gone. It is still very much there. And, again, more great combat ensues, but the trap is it was baited. Now it is sprung. The blast doors come down in two sections, trapping the Mandalorians and a forward group of Mandalorians, including Din Djarin, right in the main, um, main action, if you will, the main blaster fire pathway that the Imperial commandos have set up. Um, <laughs> and And... Din is brought to his knees. I think the Super Commandos were clearly under orders that Din Djarin was to be captured and taken alive for what happened, for his, his arrest of Moff Gideon at the end of Season 2 last year in The Mandalorian. So uh, this episode is where Moff Gideon springs his plan and captures Din Djarin, right? So what do we have? We have, the, we have like the inverse of last season's Episode seven, right? Last season, and episode well, it wasn't episode seven. I think it was episode six when Grogu gets gets taken by the Dark Troopers, right, and taken up to Moff Gideon's ship. And this time, it's it's Din who gets taken, and now Grogu, I suspect, will have to rescue Din Djarin. And we sort of have the inverse of the way season two ended, uh, but this time, potentially Grogu rescuing Din Djarin, uh, and Din Djarin has spent a lot of time getting rescued. Thus far in season three, so that's uh, of interesting things to note. But <laughs> let's go ahead and play the moment here, uh, where Moff Gideon reveals himself. Uh, Moff Gideon, all clad in black. You know, it's a little Vader esque, but he's clearly uh, Moff Gideon has clearly fetishized uh, Mandalorians, right? Like he's riffing on their style like crazy hardcore. So this is this is Car- Giancarlo Esposito at his. Uh, cartooniest villainy, maximum level achievable, right? Like he unlocks a different level of of Star Wars. <laughs> I, I, I say it cartoony, and in, 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 that has a negative connotation, but I don't mean it that way. But he is just amped up in a way that is just delightful, and I sort of can't get enough of it. But let's go ahead and play uh, Moff Gideon monologuing a bit here. Check it out. Thank you for gathering the Mandalorians into one place. You were a talented people, but your time has passed. However, as you can see, Mandalore will live on in me. Thanks to your planet's rich resources, I have created the next generation dark trooper suit, forged from Beskar alloy. And the most impressive improvement is that it has me in it. 
You see, every society has something to offer. The cloners, the Jedi, and even the Mandalorians. By aggregating the best of each, I will create an army that will bring order to the galaxy. Why don't we take your fleet off the board? Let's pause it right there. Let, let's sort of talk about this because, again, Gideon may have denied it, but he had Pershing in his in his care for some time. So we know that Gideon has an interest in cloning. And he had Grogu. Has he somehow found a way to to clone and imbue the force into his into into the soldiers that he's creating? I guess that's what we're gonna find out next week. Uh, I, I can't wait to see if all stands revealed or not, or if this is just sort of like a vague um, reference to things that are down the road still. Because clearly Moff Gideon is stepping up to be like our big bad for this show, for the foreseeable future, right? Right? Or does it all end next week? I guess we're going to find out. A lot to uh, wait and see. But let's go ahead and check in and see what exactly happens here uh, to the Mandalorian fleet right now while we still have the element of surprise activate the interceptors and bombers no all right i'm not gonna play over the the music but well you know what i'll let it play while i'm talking <laughs> no no i won't uh i love the way that we see the ships they look glorious they look impressive and it's just really cool stuff. So uh, the fleet's in danger. A lot of elements in play to, to, for our season finale next week. Uh, but again, I just can't get enough of Moff Gideon grandstanding here. So let's get, let's get back to it. In but a few moments, the purge of Mandalore will be complete. Take him to the debriefing room. I should have killed you when I had the chance. Bo-Katan. We have to stop meeting like this. I'll make sure of it. Let's skip the pleasantry, shall we? I believe this is the part where you return the dark saber to its rightful owner. Now, surrender the dark saber and tell these people that this planet is mine. This is the way. All right, so now we spring into action, and it's time to get out of the trap, right? That's what the end of this episode is all about, is, is Bo-Katan using the Darksaber to cut a hole for the Mandalorians to exit, uh, and Paz Vizsla is going to make the ultimate sacrifice to buy the Mandalorians, a unified Mandalorians, like not... Children of the Watch, not the Night Owls, the Mandalorians. He's going to buy them time by engaging with three Praetorian Guards. Now let's talk about the Praetorian Guards, because if you know me, <laughs> I don't talk about it often on the podcast, uh, because again, I find, the, I find the sequels to be uh, so divisive and, and controversial that it's been a topic I, I sort of skate around a lot. I am a fan of The Last Jedi, and I did really enjoy the sequence with the Praetorian Guards, Kylo Ren, 
and and uh, and Ray. I, I I enjoyed that whole sequence. I thought that was great stuff, and I enjoyed seeing the Praetorian Guard in action this time against Paz Vizsla. I thought they were super cool, and it looked great. It was good combat, good fun, and it's it's this character making this uh, in, uh, incredible sacrifice for the great for the good of his people, right? Uh, we know that the Vizsla name lives on in Ragnar, who we met earlier this season. Um, and, you know, we'll see what, what course of action. You know, we know the Vizslas. They are uh, they're easily riled up. So, so we'll see how Ragnar reacts to this information uh, when it comes to pass. But, again, there's so much on the line here uh, that, that Paz makes this decision and... Again, the combat is awesome. It's super rad. And it, it it puts our heroes in a really bad spot for next week. We, we go in with a, with a really great cliffhanger uh, as, as of, of what is going to happen next. Now, again, Bo-Katan freed the, the, the recon team's forces from the trap that the, that the Mandalorian sprung. I'm sorry, that the Empire sprung on them. But, but Paz Vizsla's sacrifices got them, at least has bought them some time. So do, are they able to rally? Are they able to save their forces in orbit? Are they able to save Din Djarin? Well, I think Grogu's going to have a little say in the saving of Din Djarin. Uh, the other question I, that I want to ask is, is will, will Moff Gideon just simply rip off <laughs> Din Djarin's helmet yet again <laughs> and so that Pedro Pascal can make his lone appearance for the season? Uh, How is that going to play out? How is this going to shake out? Uh, there's a lot of things going on, a lot of things to look forward to. Uh, and again, I still want a little bit more clarity on uh, if those super commandos are wearing Besker because it does explain who liberated Moff Gideon. Um, if they're not, then that puts the ball back in the court. It's like, did Mandalorians accept money to free Moff Gideon? Because that would be really weird considering his um, the role he played in the Night of a Thousand Tears. But I, I would like to get a little bit more clarity. You know, he talked about the dark new the new dark trooper armor being made of Beskar, but I, I'd have to imagine that those super commandos are wearing some form of Beskar. Uh, and that is who liberated him from New Republic custody. But we got a lot to get into next week because there's a lot that can still happen. There's a lot of things in the air. The Mandalorians seem to be on the on the verge of extinction yet again. But I have a feeling they will turn the tables somehow, some way. Uh, and I wouldn't be surprised if our good friend Captain Carson Teva had something to do with it. But we'll see about that, right? Like there's there's got to be, you know. This is what Teva's been talking about the entire time he was on, uh, you know. And if he's monitoring it, then then his squadron, uh, them showing up would be uh, very fortuitous, right? So uh, uh, let's let's. I imagine that will will play out, but we'll see. Let's <laughs> let's not go down too deep of a rabbit hole on that one. Uh, just a stellar episode. Uh, this is this is like nine buckets for me. I had a blast watching this one. It was awesome. It was rich. It was compelling. I enjoyed the action sequences. Were phenomenal. Uh, some great character moments for Bo-Katan, a great one for Din Djarin as well. And I love Mobile Grogu. Mobile Grogu's awesome, even if it only lasts for next week's episode to, uh, to help liberate Din Djarin from capture. Uh, it will serve its purpose, and you know that's, that's kind of how the show works, right? Like Some things are introduced for the purpose of, of, of solving problems down the road. And, and it, that is what it is. Uh, yeah, but nine. Love this episode. I think we're, you know, again, all those elements that we've been talking about, all the side missions, all, this, all the side quests, all the things that have been annoying people, uh, it all came together in this episode. Everything's working out just fine. 
I'm really engaged with the storyline. You know, I still have questions about some of the direction of, of the show overall, but like this is right where I want it to be as far as, as giving me just serious hardcore Mando action. All right. This is this is what I'm here for. Give it to me. Uh, and, and and give it to me all day, all night, all day, every day. That's all that's all I'm gonna say about it. Nine buckets, man. And I'm super stoked to see how we how we stick the landing next week. If we stick the landing next week on the season finale for season three of, of Star Wars, The Mandalorian. All right, that being said, we are going to wrap up, but I do have a little bit of podcasting news for you. Just confirmed during the course of this episode, um, you may have wondered, oh, it's a little odd that, that Tom didn't do a Bantha Tracks and, and talk about all the stuff that came out uh, during the course of Star Wars Celebration over the weekend. You would be right. But that is because I wanted to have uh, an actual conversation with an actual human being <laughs> about said announcements. So our good friend Reagan from the Come On, It's So Good podcast is going to join us for a conversation about mostly about like the, the TV and, and, and the movie stuff that was announced. But we might get into some comic book and, and, and video game stuff that was announced as well. So uh, stay tuned for that. That'll be out later this week. He and I are going to sit down uh, in a few, a few hours from now as I'm recording this on Wednesday. To, to have that conversation. So get ready. That'll be a fun one. It's always great to hang out with that guy. Uh, he is my, my vote. We are Buckethead Brothers, and uh, uh, it's going to be a blast. So get ready for that one. We'll probably put that out on probably on Friday would be my guess. It may come earlier. We'll, we'll see how the days go. <laughs> but we'll see how much I have to edit. That, that's really the key to, to any uh, podcast release date is how much editing do I have to do? If it's not a lot, it'll be out soon. <laughs> so stay tuned for that. All right, my friends in Buckethead Nation, uh, I truly appreciate your support. Again, this is the Minivision Podcast, Nargai Tom, and I thank you so, so much for your continuing support of this podcast. Uh, I love talking about Star Wars. I love that people apparently enjoy hearing me talk about Star Wars, so I'm so glad we're all here together. Uh, it makes me so very, very happy. Uh, reach out to us on social media at Mando underscore Vision on Twitter and Instagram. Email this podcast at ManDivisionTom at gmail.com. Gmail Make sure you're liking, subscribing, following, and sharing the show with all the Mandalorians in your covert. Another, way, another great way to support the show is five-star reviews on whatever platform you're on. We truly appreciate those. Uh, they are the thing to kind of help uh, small independent shows kind of break free of the algorithm, get, us in more, get, get more eyeballs on the show uh, so we don't get lost in the shuffle of the barrage of podcasts that exist in this day and age. So thank you so, so much. Truly, truly appreciate it and you all for being here. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, I look forward to talking about Celebration because uh, it seemed like it was just rife with all the great things of being, that being, being a Star Wars fan is and, and can be. Uh, there was, Of course, there's some negativity out there, but that's not for us here because this podcast is only for those who uh, want to be inclusive and embracing of everything that Star Wars, even the stuff that we aren't like the biggest fan of. We're not going to poo-poo on it. No poo-pooing on this podcast. No, no, no. All right. So continue to be great Star Wars fans. Continue to hype up. Let those people who think the Mandalorians are like slipping a little bit, let them know they're wrong. Get back on it. This is the episode right here. Do it right now. Yes. All right. You know this podcast can only end one way, my friends. This is the way. This is the way. This is the way. This is the way. I suppose you'll be heading out. I'm not. You should.
It's against the creed. I gave you my word. I'm with you until we both fall. You really buy into that bent of thought, huh? I do.